0: The love of my life is joining us on the line now. It's Gavin Gray. Hello.
1: <laughs>
0: Seamlessly done. Seem absolutely seamless. Uh there we are. Hello.
1: <laughs> How are you, SJ?
0: I'm all right, Gavin. I'm all right. It's been quite it's been quite a week. It's been a busy old week, but I but I'm all right. Um I'm I'm glad to be here, and I'd just like to say thank you to you for bringing our attention to this uh, uh, auction of Elton John's goodies, uh, because that has uh, informed.
1: Hasn't it gone amazingly.
0: Unbelievable! Somebody paid nearly two million rand for a pair of boots, though, and I just think that's extraordinary. Wow yeah uh, and then apparently I was looking on some website uh, some piece of artwork was commissioned by David Furnish for Elton John and that went under the hammer this is what this is what made me laugh at about half past five this morning I was having a little look so this some sort of heart shaped something was commissioned by some artist by Elton John David Furnish's husband um, for him and that made it and then at the final hour they decided they want to keep it and in my mind you've got David and, and and Elton like sitting at home in their jammers flicking through the catalog of what they're putting up and then and then David goes hold on a minute I bought you that I got so and so to commission yes. you that and you flung that in with the lot and Elton's going I didn't mean to it was an accident and really he's thinking I hated it I'm trying to get rid of it um, you know and now I, in, in my mind <laughs> there's just been this like tremendous row that's gone on in the Furnished John household about why he's trying to get why he's trying to flog the the, the artwork that was really, commissioned you would be upset wouldn't furious. you furious absolutely furious oh dear that's just in my mind that's what's, that's what's going on as the two of them sit there in their, uh, in their PJs eating some Fortnum and Mason biscuits. Right, <laughs> um, we need to get on to, uh, to more serious things. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, your top story today is incredibly serious and bleak. Um, one of, uh, well, the deaths of four women and a teenage girl in a 24-hour period in one of the cities considered to be uh, Europe's safest, Gavin.
1: Yes, I think if you ask most people about Vienna the capital of Austria, they would consider that to be um, you know, one of Europe's premier cities, certainly in terms of safety, and uh, the Austrians pride themselves on a very orderly society. So suddenly, within this 24-hour period, three women stabbed to death by a man in a brothel, uh, and then elsewhere, unrelated, a woman and her daughter were killed. Uh, and it has, as you can imagine, shocked people in the capital. Uh, the police are obviously investigating both. Um, but they uh, believe that the uh, the main suspect in the death at the brothel, the deaths at the brothel, is a 27-year-old Afghan national. He was found hiding nearby and S J he had a knife in his hand. So that would seem sure. to be some pretty compelling evidence there. But in the other incidents, the, the woman um, uh, and uh, the girl, they were both apparently choked to death or strangled. Um, and police are searching for the woman's husband. So in that case, that could well be a domestic, of course. But either way, people getting onto social media saying, my goodness, what's happening? And, of course, also pointing out, this is the death. These are the deaths of six women. Um, And according to the latest rates on femicide rates in Austria, um, then uh, uh, it is saying that uh, uh, a lot are being killed by male partners or ex-partners. Uh, And it is not acceptable. And the way in which women are treated in Austria may be partially all part of that. And they're saying, well, look, we need to really spend money on this cracking down on violence against women, pledging new initiatives and money to new initiatives, which the government says it is. But either way, as I said, these killings have really, really shocked this capital.
0: That is so interesting. You know, we are we are constantly in South Africa having the conversation around GBV. It is, it, it is one of our plagues in this country. And so it seems, you know, our frame of reference is often very much just here on, on home soil. And as you say, one doesn't necessarily think Austria... As to ne- as to having a, a a a big problem with GBV, but I mean it, it happens everywhere. No. It doesn't discriminate against uh, against anybody. I suppose in that regard. Um, your next story now. I was just thinking back to that uh, the London Grenfell Tower disaster, of course, um, which was almost seven years ago. It's absolutely amazing that it's it's been that long. But now uh, firefighters and forensic authorities are uh, in Spain, um, sort of re- reminded of that. Uh, in a devastating fire uh, that uh, that happened on um, a 14 floor apartment complex in the past week
1: yes that's right um, and uh, at the moment the official death toll is nine uh, they said that they thought it was ten it's gone back down to nine but they are still missing uh, at least one person so the fear is it'll rise further uh, this was a block of flats uh, in Valencia, 14-story uh, adjacent blocks, the fire took hold and engulfed the block in a matter of minutes. How and why Well, that what's under investigation? We know that there were very strong winds that day, and of course that fans the flame and spread them quite quickly. What we're being told, but has not been confirmed, is that the uh, flames burned through a layer of cladding attached to the building. It was attached to the building to insulate it and also to protect it from the extreme heat in Valencia. Um, But it looks like there is um, some flammable material, is what the critics are saying, in this layer under a very thin layer of aluminium. And the College of Industrial Technical Engineers in Valencia said one of the possible causes, coupled with the strong winds and high temperatures, was this cladding. And yes, Let's remember back to 2017, the Grenfell Tower fire in London to the western, right in the center, but to the western edge I suppose, of that center, um, in which more than 70 people died. Why? Because of the cladding that had been done uh, put on the building that was you know, virtually complete. The cladding was adding on to it uh, in order to try and insulate it. So big question marks now, not just, of course, here in the UK, which has had this massive program now of ripping this cladding off buildings, um, but also now I think elsewhere around Europe to find out um, uh, just uh, what types of cladding are flammable and to try and get them off these buildings as soon as possible. Uh, the companies incidentally that build uh, this cladding, particularly here in the UK, are saying, look, it complied with you know, all the standards. So, um, yeah, maybe we need to look at those standards too.
0: Um, a, a Palestinian refugee has uh, has told uh, a court that he wanted to die when he heard about uh, the uh, Home Office's decision to reject his request to allow his wife and four young children to also apply uh, for uh, for visas. The family are, uh, or rather, the the wife and children are in Gaza. Just heartbreaking.
1: It is. It is. But at the same time this i think is quite a good talking point because in the uk to get to the uk if you want a long-term british visa and you're outside the country you need biometrics what do i mean fingerprints and mm. photograph mm. at a visa application center mm. we've done this in this country for security reasons to stop criminals supposedly coming into the uk but of course in gaza there are no working visa application centers so somebody there cannot apply to come to the UK unless they already have their fingerprints and photograph on file. Right. And they are not being allowed to travel to Egypt to get them at a the center there. Um, and uh, the family had applied to be exempt from this uh, and asking to go to Egypt. Um, but in the refusal letter, the Home Office said They were not able to assist with exit or entry requirements for a third country, saying, look, it's not up to us whether you can get to Egypt. You need to speak to the authorities in Gaza. But, of course, they are in one entire unholy mess. And so uh, this uh, person, we don't know his name, uh, but he has two children. They have got hepatitis A, which apparently is spreading in Gaza. Um, this, This man and his wife, uh, and uh, he's got four children in total, but two with HEPA, He's saying, look, how can I get my children out? You are effectively discriminating against me because I need these uh, uh, biometrics in order to apply, and I can't get to somewhere for the biometrics. But actually, you know, it, it is terribly sad, but where does this stop? Because does that mean if you don't live anywhere near a VAC, a, yep. a, a visa application center, yep. Um, that you can, you know, claim that it's unfair and illegal. Either way, it's going to go through the courts, and dare I say it, it's going to cost quite a lot of money going through the courts as well. There are plenty of people criticising the very fact it's reached this far in an application, while not in any way uh, doing down... Or degrading the hardship of these people no, and others. In absolutely,
0: garden. I hear you, and it's it's a it's a floodgate situation, isn't it? If you let this, um, it, I, I get it. Although it says that it, you know, individual cases. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what the answer is. But but terribly sad for the, for that specific family. Um, I can't believe that we've already reached the second anniversary of the invasion of of Ukraine. That's extraordinary. I was standing in for a, a colleague this week, and we were talking about um, sort of looking back retrospectively over the past two years and talking about the existing sanctions against Russia and whether they've actually had any impact uh, depending on uh, which media you read it's it's a yes or a no uh, but now the UK has announced uh, more than 50 further sanctions against Russia I'm assuming that these are all financial
1: uh, yes uh, pretty much that and travel so banning travel to right. the UK and the UK really trying to get the EU to step up on this as well it comes after six Russian prison bosses were also sanctioned after the uh, death of the opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, um, and also comes as the UK, I think, really desperate to try and tighten the screws on uh, the sanctions and on Russia. Interesting, as you say, that some of the sanctions deemed to have worked, some not by, uh, by some people. Um, either way, there is this call for really them to be tightened up, and I think it's all very well to have sanctions there, but not if they're not doing anything. And it seems quite sad that my understanding of the situation is that while the EU and the uh, UK and other countries are not using or buying Russian oil, other countries remain doing so, and one of them that seems to have snapped up the cheap oil, which nobody else would touch, is India. And remarkably, we are still giving aid to India, and there, to me, S.J., if I go slightly off my trying to remain completely non-committal there seems to be one of the hubs of the problem. How can we support and at the same time criticise when we're doing those sorts of things?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, a priest this is, <laughs> I don't know what to make of this story. A priest in Spain uh, has been arrested for allegedly running a Viagra trafficking operation from his home. He's a stand-up guy. What <laughs> in earth is going indeed, on here? Indeed,
1: indeed. He was arrested in the uh, western region of Extremadura in Spain. He's appeared in court charged with a criminal offense with his lawyer saying the allegations are unfounded. Now, according to some Spanish news outlets, his arrest in the town of Don Benito followed months-long investigation into a sort of a bit of a racket, the alleged sale of controlled substances by two people. Well, one of them, they discovered, was the priest, they believe. Uh, The newspaper's report in the second man was detained with the priest's romantic partner, and they sold substances to customers from their shared home, it's alleged. So the property was placed on police surveillance, uh, and although the priest's lawyer says there's no evidence that incriminates the priest, Um, He didn't have any knowledge of it. Uh, Obviously, the police don't entirely believe that. Now, Viagra is available from pharmacies under Spanish law. And so we don't quite understand how these substances were then sold or gained by the two men. Either way, the uh, police believe they were running... Uh, this uh, ring for uh, both that Viagra, but also, quote, other powerful aphrodisiac substances. I'd <laughs> to think what they might be.
0: <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, dear. Um, we stay in Spain and uh, we go to a Spanish winery, uh, which has suffered losses of uh, an awful lot, 2.5 million euro, after an unidentified intruder was spotted on CCTV emptying uh, 60,000 litres of wine. Well, for what purpose is an insurance claim or what? I mean, is it an inside job? Well,
1: it, lo- it looks like uh, this could be an aggrieved employee oh. or it could be somebody within who, yes, somehow thinks that the company will benefit from the loss of this wine. Of course, in wine circles, um, you know, who knows? It could be an employee who just thinks, actually... This isn't very good quality, and I'm going to get rid of it. So to <laughs> think. Um, yeah. But yes, big investigation underway. 60,000 litres of wine, roughly 48 million South African rams sure. worth of it. Okay. Um, and the wine that uh, has been uh, taken or, or allowed to flow away are the winery's most expensive varieties. So at 3.30 in the morning, the intruder was seen on CCTV Uh, and it's quite clear he knows where he's going and he knows what he's doing. Uh, And you see him go through the winery grounds into the building and then quite simply move between the tanks, opening them rapidly, causing the contents, sadly, to spill all over the floor and down into the drains. The winery, Sepa 21, says it's actually very hard to open the tanks and they include a security mechanism um, and you can't really do it with, unless you know what you're doing, you know, that prior knowledge. So therefore, they think that it is, I don't know, member staff, ex-member staff, something like that, but somebody who knows the grounds very well. Uh, there are no grounds, they say, to suspect current or former employees at the site, according to police, but then at, at this stage. Um, and uh, interestingly, whoever did it, New, which were the really expensive variety tanks, because I'm afraid bottles of those sell for roughly 800 South African rand. So, gosh, that's bad, isn't
0: it? Yeah, not not uh, not cheap plonk we're talking about. Um, I have to admit to not knowing who our final story is about. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby the dog or the, the, the late, the late great Bobby the dog. No idea who, yeah. who this is.
1: Well, uh, Bobby the dog was a dog in Portugal, a Raffero Don Alentino from Portugal, who uh, died, sadly, in October of last year at the age of 31 years, 165 days. So in human years, that would equate to over 220 years. And uh, Mm. at the time that his uh, his owners said he was 31 and 165 days, they said, look, you know, uh, he had a lovely life. The breed normally lives for less than half that, but he was he was in good health. He was solid. And, of course, towards the end was aging. And this was accepted by the Guinness World Records Group, who said he was the world's most elderly canine. Now, the family who owned him said there was a microchip in Bobby, who and that effectively you know, said what the age was, so therefore it was beyond dispute. But plenty of people, and particularly those in the veterinary groups, were saying there is no way a dog would live for 31 and a half years. Anyway, the Guinness World Record has this week stripped Bobby, the belated <sighs> late dog, of the title, much to the annoyance of his owner, who said that these questions (laughs) and suspicions were unfounded. And that means, drumroll, Australia's Bluey, who died in 1939 at Mm. the age of 29 years and five months, is once again the oldest dog ever. That's until somebody else comes forward saying, I've got one even older.
0: (laughs) I think it's a load of nonsense. In what? 29 (laughs) years? No, somebody's. And five months
1: for Bluey—that's quite. That's quite a go, isn't
0: it? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good innings. Um, I'm sorry to, to, to Bobby and his owner, but uh, what a load of rot! I'm not. I'm not buying it for, <laughs> for, for, a, for a minute. I'm going to Google. I'm going to Google Bobby the dog. Imagine that being. Strict. He did not look it. He no. doesn't look that old. <laughs> <laughs> it's what they say about you, Gigi. Uh, thank you very <laughs> much indeed. <laughs> thank you very much, Gavin. We'll chat to you again next Have a great week. week.